If you have your own story of being in a cult or a high control group, or if you've had experience with manipulation or abuse of power that you'd like to share, leave us a message on our hotline number at 347-86-TRUST. That's 347-868-7878. Or shoot us an email at trustmepod at gmail.com. Trust me. Dude, you trust me. Trust me. I'm like a smart person. I've never lied to you. I never have lied to you. If you think that one person has all the answers, don't. Welcome to Trust Me, the podcast about cults, extreme belief, and manipulation from two fitness models who've actually (laughs) experienced it. I'm Lola Blanc. And I am Megan Elizabeth. We're not fitness models. In case anyone wasn't clear on that, (laughs) Uh, today is part one of our interview with Lauren Drain. She is an author, an actual fitness model and trainer, registered nurse, and former member of the Westboro Baptist Church. In part one today, she's going to tell us about the group's hateful and cruel picketing, how her family joined after her father visited, intending to make a documentary making fun of them, and what his own upbringing was like, which may have drawn him to the group. We'll discuss what it was like picketing all kinds of events, including funerals and her own high school, how tightly controlled everyday life was, and the extremely normal things she did that got her kicked out. Plus, the sad and Shakespearean end of founder Fred Phelps' life. The level of cruelty that these people are capable of is um, quite shocking, and we will hear all about it. And next week, stay tuned, because there is so much more to get into with her. There's an exciting update. So I will say before we, we go on, I noticed a lot of similarities between... Fred Phelps and the founder of the religion. I was brought in and I kept drawing parallels and it was really interesting to me. And then I thought about it a little bit more yesterday and I was like, I think that that was all earlier days in this religion. And now the religion I was raised in being like a hundred years older. I think there's some people in it that aren't even really in a cult and can think freely and appreciate people from all walks of life. So I just wanted to make that clear, you know? Yeah, yeah. When you're making that parallel, you're more thinking about like just really specific things in terms of like mentalities. Yeah, the founder, the beginning, the like some strange stuff I saw when I was really little. But I think it's opened up a lot. Thank God. (laughs) Anywho. Anywho. Cultiest thing of the week, anyone? Yeah, tell me yours. All right. Well, Harry, I almost said Harry Styles. No, Harry, uh, the Prince of Wales. (laughs) Harry. (laughs) Oh my God, Harry. Uh, Spare, he just released his memoir, Spare. It's sold a bazillion copies. And I guess in it, he says that his family, when he started going to therapy, feared that he was joining a cult because he was learning all of these things about himself and being like, you're not supposed to do this and you're doing this to me. And they're like, we've lost him to the cult of psychotherapy. And it's just very ironic and fun. And they also think Megan has brainwashed him apparently. So exciting stuff. I can't imagine being raised in the bubble that that family has been raised in and then somebody going to therapy and being like, actually, you're silencing me or, you know what I mean? Like, what? It's too much. It's good. Did you watch their doc? No, I haven't yet. Have you? <laughs> yes, I have. What'd you think? Um, I don't know. I, I understand why people are like, oh, you know, they're curating their narrative. But also, like, I don't know. I don't know if y'all watch The Crown. Obviously, it's fictionalized history, but a lot of it is based on very real stuff. Like, there is a very real history of the royal family trying to control the narrative 
so, so, so hard that I don't actually totally understand why there are people who are so adamant that Megan is like this lying, manipulative whore or whatever. Whatever you think of that, the character of Megan, which we don't know her, you guys. We don't know what her character is. I'm sure she's fine. She's not fine. I'm sure she's obnoxious. She's an actress. She, You know, no one's perfect. I'm sure she's a lot. But also this institution is complicated and very dark in many ways. So the two just going at each other, there's no resolution because nobody's perfect. And, you know, everybody just has to do acid or mushrooms. <laughs> that is the conclusion of that. I <laughs> that anyone would draw from what you just said. <laughs> uh, no, I just don't. I just don't understand. Like the the women that we decide culturally must be like these virulently evil people who are just manipulating us all like that might be true in some cases sometimes but the certainty when it's like she's going up against a very very yeah like old and powerful institution that does not like controversy and does not and literally is afraid of their own relevance because then they the taxpayers won't pay for their existence anymore then they might not exist right as an institution like it is very important that the public not think that they're bad to them so mm-hmm. it all like i don't know i think it all tracks just fine also harry can get it just saying oh yeah oh yeah i mean who would have thought 20 years ago that he would have been the hot one it's shocking and beautiful it is i know i never thought i never saw it coming when i was a kid my mom was like you should date harry and i was like no not for me and now i'm like i don't know pretty for me yeah well uh if we could turn back time (laughs) (laughs) if only i had dated prince harry when i had the chance that's the one thing we would fix <laughs> um, I don't know. I just think it's interesting. I think it's interesting watching this like extreme polarization around in like individuals who we everyone has a fucking opinion about, but none of us actually know that person. Royals aside, y'all, I think it's time to talk to Lauren Drain, whose story is fascinating, and she as a person is amazing. And uh, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I know that I am at my best self when I have people in my life that I can talk to about what is going on with me, like challenges when I'm isolated or like don't have a lot of people to like talk it through with me can seem so much bigger than when I have someone there who can just kind of help me tease it apart and figure out what's going on and get to the root of it. And for me, that is best provided by a therapist. That truly is what makes me feel like my best self. I feel supported. I feel like I have someone. I feel like I'm not alone. Yeah, as someone who never stops talking with their friends, I always used to say, I don't need a therapist. I talk to people about my emotions and issues all of the time. And very different to talk to somebody who is highly trained and knows what to look for and what to pick up on to help you overcome patterns. Patterns. Patterns, baby. (laughs) Recognize them. Fix them. Get over them. Yes. Love it. And one great way to do that is by using BetterHelp. It is convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. And all you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge, which is a very important feature, I think. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash trust today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash trust. 
Welcome, Lauren Drain, to Trust Me. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you so much for being here. I am like very excited that we're talking to you today. This I can't believe we haven't done a Westboro Baptist Church episode yet, and I'm just very excited to hear your story. So thank you. So for anyone who does not know what the Westboro Baptist Church is, can you give just like a general description of this church that you were once a member of? Oh boy. Okay. So this is a pretty small church, non-denominational. It's not associated with any other churches. It's in Topeka, Kansas. It's worldwide known, infamous for being very like hateful, like one of the most hated churches in America. They protest military funerals, different religious backgrounds, churches, political, religious, you name it. God hates this, God hates that. They're very in-your-face, judgmental, and condemning lots and lots of people to hell. So they'd pick it outside of military funerals and just the most vile places that you could be possibly like spewing hate at people. I have actually had the honor of having a friend's funeral picketed by the no church. Way. So that was interesting. Yeah. Also, Lauren, I am from Kansas and I was raised in a very similar religion. So feel a lot of kinship with your book. It's really interesting. The older I get, the more I'm realizing that there are a lot of cults out there. Actually, I thought at first I didn't want to believe it. We were taught from the time we were little that our church was not a cult, but that's what everyone calls it. And we need to fight back against that. And and that's just what people say, so they won't believe the truth. But after I left, I soon learned like the power control they had, the public humiliation, the shaming, the disowning, the banishing, the ripping the families apart. It has this power structure of trying to fear people into believing, shame and people into doing what they think. And it causes a lot of destruction both in the church and outside the church. I think I first became aware of this group from the Louis Theroux documentaries, which I just thought were fascinating at the time. The The church was labeled, do you call it the church? Do you call it the cult? How do you refer to it? That's a good question. I mean, we always called the church for so many years. I was there for seven years, so I do often say the church, but it is a cult. It's definitely a cult. A thousand percent believe in that. Mm. Um, but yeah, Louis, Louis did... I think three sets of documentaries in the church is the most hated family in America, the BBC documentary. So if you're interested, you can see it, check it out. I think I was like maybe 19 or 20 when he did the first one. He did another one after I'd already left. So it's been now 15 years since I've been out, but I think he did one like two or three years after I had left. And I was in that one too. So further context, it was labeled as a hate group by the Southern Law Poverty Center for its homophobia and anti-Semitism. How did your family first come to join this church cult? I lived a relatively normal life, I would say, like a typical go to school, go to public school, live with my parents, parents were like soccer mom and softball dad, you know, like your typical, like, like homey family in America, right? And then right around the t- age of like 14, I don't know if it's just me, I'm the oldest of four becoming, going into puberty or discovering males for the first time or dating, that kind of thing. My dad was at the same time, he was uh, developing films and doing documentary style films. He wanted to do a documentary on the Westboro Baptist Church. He went to, I think he went to, he went to school. Um, he went to college in, at KU. So he learned about the Westboro in Topeka, Kansas, which is right next to Lawrence, Kansas. Um, and when he learned about them, he wanted to like do a documentary. So his first uh, big film break was going to be on the Westboro. So he spent a whole summer filming them, like their protests, their pickets, where they go, what they believe, their line of thinking of why God hates this or what punishments are being brought on us for this. Basically, they say every single punishment is from God, like whether it's a sickness, pandemic, calamity, 
you know, every, every weather storm, you know, every time someone dies, it's God's hand. So he was like studying them and filming them. And he was kind of trying to do like a mockumentary style film at first. So he was trying to mock them mm. and that's, that was his intent or so he said, and, um, he ended up spending a full summer with them. Um, and he got very close with the pastor at the time, the pastor Fred Phelps and his, his uh, daughter and their family. And he basically took by the end of the summer or towards the end of filming the film and editing the film, he was like, we're going to move our family from Florida where we were living at the time back to Kansas. And I was 14. I had just completely switched my life around. Like I'd already started like going to like high school dances and like little like friend dates and stuff like that. Like what a 14 year old might be involved with. And they're like, absolutely none of that. No more dating, no more dyeing your Mm. hair, no more wearing makeup. Your clothes have to like, we have to change your dress code. Everything went into a huge culture shock uh, change for me. Lots of rules, lots of shaming, lots of punishments um, for me to adapt to this new uh, lifestyle. Wow. I feel like we hear so many stories about the transition like from a cult to secular life, but we don't get to hear a lot of like what it's like to be a regular teenager and then suddenly you're in an extreme group. I mean, unimaginable. Yeah. I mean, when I I was 12, when I believed in our like self-proclaimed prophet or whatever, and that was a like crazy experience. And that didn't even, that wasn't even like a full fledged group that I was a part of on a daily basis. That was more of just like an ideology and like separation from my mom. But yeah, it's just so, that's so crazy. It's so next level. Um, real quick, Megan, can we just circle back? What, why was, why were they picketing your friend's funeral in particular? Um, he was famous, I guess. So yeah, he wasn't gay, but I, there were just a lot of them. He, he, was buried in Texas and there was a lot of people holding signs that said his name and that he was in hell. And that was that. Mm. Uh, I think just because he was part of Hollywood and stuff like that. But I I was also just going to add that there's two things that stood out to me about. Okay. So number one, I did not realize that Fred Phelps was a lawyer, a good lawyer, and that everybody in this system is a lawyer. So it makes sense that when your dad went, he was like, "Ah, I'm going to make fun of them. And then he comes back and he's like, totally convinced that this person is a prophet or whatever you would call it. And then number two, it was also interesting, Lola, like, and I were discussing this, your sister had kidney cancer, which I wonder, we often see that people join extreme things after they deal with something traumatic. So it's interesting that right when this was happening, he joined this group. Those were my two takeaways from that. That's, well, a, that's a very insightful point. Yeah. What was the timeline of that? Like the cancer diagnosis to the joining? So my little sister was born, was born in Florida. We were both born in Tampa, Florida, but we moved within six, six to eight or nine months of her being born to Kansas. So she was still young. And you're absolutely right. Uh, I have a, I'm a little blurry on the exact like lo- doctor and location of the first checkup we did. But once we knew she had cancer, we wanted to go near one of the best children's hospitals. So that's actually another reason. Mm. Um, but the timeline of Taylor getting cancer versus the church are two different timelines. When Taylor was tiny, uh, we moved to Kansas. The, I think this is the first time we moved to Kansas. Yes, the first time. So we moved t- near near Lawrence. He ended up going to school there and all that. And then we went to Kansas City, uh, Kansas City Children's Center, or one of those children's hospitals in Kansas City, Missouri. But that, that was when she was like six months old. We joined the Westboro when she was like 
I was 14. So she was five and a half years younger. She was like nine or 10. So it's still traumatic. Like, I mean, there's other traumatic things that have happened in my life as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I think my dad's been through a lot of trauma in his past with his family. He's, he's part, part, part of the, I wasn't able to put it in the book or I didn't even know if I should delve into his history as much, but he was the product. So he was the baby of a a, a marriage affair. So his mother already was married and his father was already married and they had their own families and Mm. they came together and she, they slept together and they had a baby outside of those two marriages. So my, that's, that's my dad. So he is like Mm. the product of like, nobody wanted you. Like the step siblings didn't want him on either side. Um, The parents didn't want him because they weren't supposed to have that relationship. Um, And it didn't end up working out anyway. So he was, he grew up into a split family, like being uh, hated by everyone. And he was just, mm. he was the youngest of all of them as well. So he got bullied by, he, he did tell me growing up, I got bullied by my sisters. I got bullied by this and that. Like he was always uh, the outcast at school. I think he ended up dropping out of high school. He, my dad is a very, very intelligent man. He, and, and I will say the same thing about the church members as well. Like back to your point about, okay, they're all attorneys. These are highly, highly educated humans um, you cannot debate with them like a lot of things. Like you could try to debate civil rights with them, history, culture, they will get you. Like they are so smart. They, they, mm. they practice the art of debate and, and intelligence very often. And they teach the kids this too. So it's not a matter of intelligence and it's not a matter right. of them being like deranged or full of incest or these, some of these like people mock them and say all these things are actually really smart. They're just very, 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 uh, brainwashed into these beliefs and it's so hardcore it goes generations now it's gone from fred phelps to his daughter to his grandchildren to his great-grandchildren we're going like four or five generations deep of this uh, Mm. belief system and because it's such a dynamic like us versus the world man it's not just like us versus one other church it's like us versus everyone like like, that's how they model this is what they've modeled to children so by the time you're little born into it you think the world hates you. You think all your friends at school hate you. You think everyone outside hates you. Interviewers hate you. Journalists hate you. Like you're taught this me versus everyone mentality. So you're very defensive and you're very like, I'm only unified with these people, right? So it's very right. hard to break free from that mentality on top of the fact, if I even start to question that mentality, I will risk losing my place here, which means I lose every right. family member I have Every sibling, every like my mother, my father, like it's all cut off like this. And sometimes some people get kicked out over freaking nothing. Like I got kicked out over talking to a boy on the internet. I was 20 years old. I never, I never touched a guy. I never dated a guy. I didn't even see one in person. I never kissed one. I literally talked through email to 1500 miles away to another guy who emailed me back. And I kept doing that because I was freaking 20 years old. And I'm like, I I was questioning the church at the time. And I was just like, listen, I'm of age. I'm going into nursing school. I'm going to graduate very soon. Like their whole thing was you can't date or court someone until you're finished with your college degree because that's distracting and that's not godly. They have all these rules in place. So I said, okay, great. I'm on my track. I'm about to graduate. Like what's my, how do I go about like courting or dating someone First of all, our religious beliefs are so intense. There's like no one <laughs> that believes all this. But if I if I do find someone that believes all this, like, can I communicate with him? Am I? And they're like, no. So it's like, mm. not only are, are you limiting my <laughs> options to like ki- kids I grew up with that feel like my brothers, 
Like mm-hmm. I grew up with these kids and you're limiting me to them. And a lot of them are all, all cousins. So that's weird. But oh, no. you won't, you won't let, you won't let me talk to someone who like is, has similar thinking. So I got kicked out for that reason. It was just, wow. it was very crazy. It was very crazy, but people are kicked out for all different reasons. And just like that, that's it. You're gone. Right. You can't contact your mom and dad. Can't talk to your siblings. You get your stuff out as soon as possible. They erase your f- pictures from uh, all the family photos. They erase. They erase your had. picture from the family photos. Oh yeah, they, I've seen people black take a sharpie, like, <gasps> in a huge like, and black out someone's face. Oh my god, that's horrible. They try. They try to shame us, and like I watched when other people got kicked out, whether it was like elders or grandparents. I saw fathers get taken from kids. Uh, kids get taken. You know, like young adults get blacked out, and basically they wanted us inside the church to be fearful of that. And see, oh, if we if we step out of line, if we question this religion, if we question our parents, we're going to get, lose everything. We'll lose our right. faith, our hope, our you know. So yeah. it's a very, very effective scare tactic, and it's it's really it's gang mentality and it's bullying, and totally. it freaking it freaking works. Trust Me is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Most of you listening right now are probably multitasking. Yep, while you're listening to us talk, you're probably also driving, cleaning, exercising, or maybe even grocery shopping. But if you're not in some kind of moving vehicle, there's something else you can be doing right now. Getting an auto quote from Progressive Insurance. It's easy, and you could save money by doing it right from your phone. Drivers who save by switching to Progressive save nearly $700 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Discounts for having multiple vehicles on your policy, being a homeowner, and more. So just like your favorite podcast, Progressive will be with you 24-7, 365 days a year. So you're protected no matter what. Multitask right now. Quote your car insurance at Progressive.com to join the over 29 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $698 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. The word bullying is interesting because like just hearing about how your dad was bullied so much growing up and probably was constantly getting the brunt of other people's meanness. It's so interesting that he would then be drawn to the bullies. And I mean, obviously, this is just sheer speculation of someone else's psychology. But like, I wonder if that sort of feels like, oh, finally, I can be in the position of a little bit more power and I don't have to be the one who's like hurt anymore. Just a, just a speculation. I think, I think there's something to that for sure. I think it's, I don't know if he's ever verbalized this and, and I'm, I'm speaking speculation too. I don't, I, I don't know what he feels or believes. So if he gets yeah. to speak on that, if he ever yeah. comes out, you know, and does his thing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I, I think that it's very real thing. Hurt people, hurt people, whether they're conscious to it or not conscious. Some people might consciously be like, well, if someone's going to beat up on me, I'll beat up on them. And other people are absolutely unconscious to it. They yeah. don't even know that they're picking a fight with other people or that they're, they have a power struggle inside and they're projecting it on the outside or that they have like um, some hole missing and they're just filling it with control or they're filling mm-hmm. it with the need to be bigger than I'm, I'm better than you. I have more godlike you know, I, I, I'm more in a better relationship with God or whatever it is they're trying to be more than. And I, I saw that with a lot of the members. So not just my dad, like all of them. And I, I thought it was so weird because at, at these funerals, we would taunt people while they're walking into grieve, whoever it is, uh. that's obviously someone. And they'd be like, oh, you're going to hell just like them. You shouldn't even be here. You shouldn't be worshiping uh, the dead. 
and they would just like it wasn't a, even a human just we're, the, the things mm. that would come out of our mouths were so dehumanizing yeah. and so like absolutely not no empathy and I just had to grow up on this picket line like I was 14 you know at a 14 year old you're still trying to figure out life who you are what you're you know and totally. to be exposed to this and I thrown into it immediately now I have to hold these signs that I didn't even make I didn't necessarily understand I was just learning the Bible and we read the Bible every day for seven years, uh, or at least I did. Um, so I learned the bi- biblical stories, concepts, verses uh, pretty well in and out. And I fell in love with a lot of parts of it, you know, a lot of the love, joy, peace, empathy kind of stuff you see in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I know all of it. So if anyone wants, like, that's one thing we were learn- learning as we grew up is we had to share these concepts and we were like forced to have these like religious biblical debates on picket lines, basically street corners with kids and families and adults older than us from the age of tiny, tiny. Like I'm talking, there were two year olds on picket lines, three, four. Um, we had, we had such insightful messages that people would throw things at us or yell at us, or it was, it was a very volatile, like well yeah that's one of the interesting things and something that i relate to also it reminds me of moses storm our second episode lola huh mm-hmm. the like picketing totally. when, you're, when you're, you're tiny you're gonna go to hell or you're, yeah, go, you're, go, hell. You're, you're going to hell is what he would say <laughs> oh, with this, like but okay. the church that i was raised in was very much like mainstream christianity has it completely wrong they are more sinful than just people who aren't christians christmas mm-hmm. is the worst thing you could do. It's so awful. And like a lot of people don't read the Bible. So you could have conversations with them that they couldn't argue back on. They just be like, God loves everyone. And you'd be like, actually the Bible says that he very much doesn't. He's a very (laughs) angry person. And like, you know, you could just go on like that forever. So if you want to use the Bible, it is a very violent book full of a lot of hatred. So you can twist it to make sense in the way that he was very easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. There are violent stories in there for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Lauren, what did you think when you first got there? I mean, you're like a regular 14 year old kid. Like, did you have any exposure to religion at this point? And did it seem crazy or were you just like, Oh, I guess this is what we're doing now. <laughs> I've always been a very curious human. So I always ask lots of questions. I, I, I always ask my parents lots of questions. So is this what we believe now? Are we going to question some of the things that they say on their signs? Uh, can we can we look up and make sure that everything we're saying is correct? Is this really the way we should treat people? Like I was constantly always asking questions. And I think that's another reason I got kicked out because <laughs> I wouldn't sh- shut the f up. I'm sure. And- <laughs> yeah, that there it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we would have these Bible studies where I was on the older end of, of the yeah. So I was like between 14 and 20, 21. And then the younger kids, we'd hold these Bible studies where it's all the kids in the basement. I'm talking like 30, 40 people, maybe more than that. Yeah, 30, 40. And I would ask in front of everyone when they're all supposed to be just toeing the line and listening to what mom says and what, what grandpa says and everything. I'm just like, wait a minute. Why do we say this verse says God does not have the pleasure in the death of the wicked? Why do we have pleasure in the death of the wicked? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, blurt it out and be like, I look, love- guys. <laughs> this is different than what we say. And they're like, you need to shut the F up because mm. you're, a, you're, they would say I'm satanic. I'm divisive. Mm. I st- stir up strife. I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't listen to my elders. I should get in trouble. I get punished. I would get more like chores given to me. If I ever started a question, I started questioning things about like the random ass rules they would give us. Like 
one year, just because I started asking about marriage and I, like I told you guys, I was, all, I was close to graduating. I was wondering, how do I go about courting someone in or out the church? And one of the members just said, we don't believe in marriage anymore. I was like, oh, really? I was like, that's cool. Because uh, where is that in the Bible? And she's like, no, it's not. It, we don't believe it anymore because God's about to come and the Lord's coming and you're being selfish and vain. And you wanting a husband mm. for yourself is selfish. So God, if you don't, you need to trust God and just shut up. Was this okay. someone who was married herself? <laughs> nope. No, no, oh, okay, she wasn't okay. married. She also had a baby out of wedlock, which normally some people don't care about that, but they actually do care about that. They shame people for that. And I can mm. list off like five of the women above my generation, right? So I'm like generation three, but the women above me who would all shame me for things, they had children out of wedlock, which they think is a crime. So I think <laughs> it's funny and hypocritical that you can't even hold your own rules. You judge others for these rules, but you're atoned for them. You are forgiven, but no one else out in the other world living this life is forgiven. I That's always how it goes, right? The, the but they, so, they were his kids, right? They were all like Phelps people, correct? He, yeah. So Fred Phelps had, I think, 13 children. He right. Had, I don't know. A lot of them. And um, I think two, let's see, four of them had left at one point. So we still had, what's the math there? Nine mm. children left. Uh, so a lot of them are the attorneys and they run the church. They, they run all the rules. They're called the elders. They tell the kids how to live, what's, what's sinful. They punish them openly if they do anything. Like um, if I, I don't know, I'm trying to think of something that I did. Oh, if I wore something in a perfect school, they would send an email blast out to all the members, right? So all my peers, my age and under would see it. All my all the old elders above me would see it. All my neighbors, churchgoers, they would all see. Oh, Lauren was wearing the wrong clothes today. She's being a little slut. She's being a whore. She probably just wants to, you know, screw a guy at school. So she, yeah, she needs to. We need to. We need to all uh, score. So everyone would come to me individually and tell me how shitty I'm being. And and if if I don't stop doing whatever it was, then I'm going to go to hell and I'm going to get kicked out of the church. So they would do this to me. They would do this to me over. If I put fingernail polish on, if I if I cut my hair, so we're not we weren't allowed to cut our hair, but I I was a very anxious child for obvious reasons, <laughs> um, and I would twist my hair like this. This is like something I would just do a nervous habit, and they were like, "You're trying to cut your hair without scissors, so we oh need to talk God. to you about this." They, and these are just like small things. They would go invade our life, like all my cell phone. They would my dad and parents and everyone would check my cell phone to see if I'm calling or texting anyone I shouldn't. They would check my um, computer history. Uh, they can walk in and out of my room at any time. They have, the kids don't have privacy. You can't like decide if you can go to the movies with friends. Like you have to ask mom and dad if you have like the day off. Like the you know because most of the time we're doing chores. We would always be like I went to school full time. I got scholarships and I paid for my way. My parents didn't pay my way. I paid for it with with my money and my scholarships and my job on top of all the chores I did at home. And watching the kids. They would probably still spy on you while you were completely independent is what I'm. Yes. Yeah. And they would, and they would take, so like, let's say I had a Sunday off one random Sunday. They, I, they were like, yeah, you're doing the whole family's like laundry all day today, or you're going to clean out dad's tool shed, or you're going to go on, fix somebody else's toilet or paint their walls. Like we always were assigned. Sounds like you're pretty things. handy. <laughs> Handylauren.com. <laughs> it was the massive amount of control was just so yeah yeah, so intense so I think it's interesting because they're so extreme in 
so many ways, but then they're letting you go to school and have like a secular life to some extent. Why, why would they do that? I would, I was so expecting to hear when I was listening to some of your interviews that you were homeschooled. Do you know what the, what that's all about? Well, I mean, they would say that they want us to be a shining light for the public ah, school. To see. Same. Yeah. Yeah. You really? have to be in the world, not of the world. Oh, in the world, but not of the world. But I honestly believe, I mean, they had, they had a lot of work to do and I don't think that they could have handled homeschooling 30 to 40 kids. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. There's no freaking way. I mean, the, everything else about our life was, was divided. Like, like as soon as school's over, like we might go to track meet and we go, Oh, I'm hanging out with the track friends. And there's all of a sudden track meets over. It's like, get away from them. Like, mm-hmm. okay. And, or mm-hmm. it's just it's so weird. They wanted us to co- have that us versus them mentality at all times. And that, we are representing God, so we need to be in your face with our belief system. Do you think that being at regular school contributed to, like, your independent thinking because you were exposed to, like, other ways of living? I think to a degree, but we still had, like, I went to school with a ton of my church members. Like, Mm. we would all get classes together in high school and in college. So, oh. and we pick it, we pick it at our own high school and college as well. <laughs> you did? Yes. They'd be like, but buy someone in math and be like, thank you for letting me borrow your pencil. Then be like outside during lunch fighting with them. <laughs> it's yes. so wild. Yes. Oh, no. uh, at, at, uh, at lunch, we would take our lunch break, which is the only, you know, and we would have to like stand out there and pick it and God hates you. You're going to hell. So this is a Topeka city of hell, all this stuff. And we'd just be sitting there eating our thing while all of our kids were driving by. I remember one day, someone must have got really mad at us because they uh, they shot at us with BB gun. Mm, and so, oh my like, goodness. Well, we're, we're always doing stupid crap and trying to incite everybody and make everyone pissed off about something. So, I mean, something's bound to happen when you constantly are provoking everybody. Not to say right. stress, but it's And they're it's most like... Done emotionally intense moments but of course obviously people shouldn't shoot people because well the the thing that i found interesting was that you used their anger as proof that what you were saying was correct or at least he he did and and gave that message to you guys like they're angry because we're saying something right they wouldn't be if we were just crazy yeah yes that's that was huge and that was a huge part of the mentality for us like when we would say okay well how do we know that we're not just saying something mean and cruel or people get mad about that too. So there's like, well, um, the, you know, they don't have an argument. They don't have a biblical argument for it. And they're angry because they don't want to believe it's the truth and they don't want to change their ways. Mm-hmm. So they're basically just saying that they're taking their anger out on us. We're just the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But, and they weren't worried about like, actually like attracting people to the group and making, and like growing the group. Was that not? They constantly said they weren't they weren't interested in recruits. Mm. They thought every year they thought the, that like, this is the year that Christ is going to return back and save, mm. you know, the people he's going to save and cast away the people he's going to cast away. And every year, obviously he didn't. <laughs> um, and, and like, it just more, I, there are a couple of families to join. Like my family's one. I think it was like a Jake's family, a couple other small families, small tr- people trickling in here and there, but they weren't like about saving people. They were about, we're here to let you know that if you don't turn from your ways, you're condemned to hell. So they thought that their whole message was not a message of salvation. It was not a message of anything other than you're doomed. 
(laughs) Thank you for telling me. Yeah. So glad I know that now. (laughs) Yeah. There's no solution. Just like you're definitely going to help. (laughs) Have fun. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Oh my God. So it's like, talk to us about very pick- enticing for new members. <laughs> yeah. Totally. <laughs> Talk to us about the picketing and what that was like. Like, was it exciting? Did it feel awkward? Like, yeah. Tell us. Okay. There, I've been to ugh, tens of thousands of pickets probably in those years or wow. at least thousands. And because we would pick it every day on our street corners, like at school or work or whatever, not work, school, church, and like the courthouse or something like that. And then we also did out of town pickets every week, weekend. So I've been to a lot of them. And I would say like all of them kind of blur together after a while, but some do stand out. Um, one of them that particularly stood out to me when I realized I don't believe this way anymore. I don't think what we're doing and what these people are telling me to do is not right. Somewhere between 2001 and 2007, there were... Um, Amish, Amish schoolgirls, I think there were, this was, this made national news all over Fox news and everything, um, that these Amish schoolgirls were killed, uh, either killed or died. I can't remember which one, but it was definitely young school age girls that, di- or, that died and there was a funeral held for them. I can't remember all the details, but it made national news. And we went to go pick at it because we pick at everything. And we tell mm-hmm. everyone that they're going to hell and we, you know, we don't have any empathy on death or grieving death. Mm-hmm. So we went and picketed them and I was like sitting there and like, I've been to like adult funerals before. Like I've been to like military funerals before, but these are children, like innocent children. I just felt like something in my heart is just sank. And I was like, what if the parents see me right now? Like what if I'm out here and mm-hmm. I make it onto national news and I'm just holding a sign to thank God for dead children. Like, th- like what, like, what am I doing? I'm just so confused. Like I didn't build that sign, but they would, they would make our signs and then put them in the bag and then we would put pull them out so not all of us even knew what signs were in there or which ones we were going to hold when we were going to show up to uh, at a funeral and a lot of the signs were made weekly so according to weekly events that the pastor would make a new sign and all of a sudden we're thanking god for this disease and this person dying and this problem so Mm -hmm. uh i was like what the hell i i was dissociating i was like i don't want anyone to see me i don't want to be here i don't like this i i kept praying that nobody would see me and that because a lot of times the media would show up to these pickets and they would run stories, like almost every picket. They ran like a local story of some kind. And so I was like, God, please don't let anyone see me. I can't hide. I'm holding the big ass neon sign. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. At a funeral. Like, what the yeah. hell? So I'm just like sitting there praying and putting my head down. And that's when I knew. I was like, that's it. This is wrong. My body is telling me it's wrong. I need to start questioning what we're doing. I need to like figure out what the hell is going on here because I would never want to face a family member that's going through that right now. Mm-hmm. And I, at the time I was young, I was like maybe 19. I'd never experienced death personally, but yeah. But you had big basic impact. empathy. Yeah. I felt like this shit is wrong and I don't yeah. want to be here. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I can't imagine. It makes me just curious about Fred Phelps in general. When did, when did he die? He died in. That's a good question. He died after I left. So I've been out for 15 years, but um, okay. a couple of the members have left more recently and they had interactions with uh, the pastor while he was passing away. And that whole drama is incredibly disgusting. Like I, and I have empathy for that too, because even though the pastor, he kind of created this monster, let's be real. He created this monster, through, whether it's through his past pain and trauma, or he really believed this crap, whatever it is, he created it. Yeah. And um, unfortunately for him, he's 
condemned the whole, condemned everyone in the world. Um, he's condemned his own family members and people, church members by kicking them out. And towards the end of his old old age, he was getting senile. Um, you know, I'm an, I don't know if you guys know, but I'm an, I'm a registered nurse, and mm-hmm. yeah, I know mm-hmm. you guys believe in like medical diseases and Alzheimer's and dementia. It's a real thing. Yeah. And the church likes to likes to make things everything in like this is satanic versus godly and they don't really like to go into medical diagnosis unless they have to. So they deemed the pastor getting evil in the end of his age, even though he was oh, literally probably God. dementia or going crazy or both. Like he yeah. I, I pers I personally will tell you guys when I was there, I witnessed a lot of manic behaviors because I'm a nurse and I really, I, I recognize it. And we, we all used to hold church meetings about this stuff too. So when I was there, like a couple summers in a row, the, the pastor would do this thing where he would just manically get on one thing. And he, that was it. Like every day I have to, I have to get on a bike and ride 16 miles every single day mm. of the whole summer. Or mm. I, every day I have to, um, you have to force me to eat this one thing. And, and I, he would just get on these random kicks where he had to do it every day for like so many months. <laughs> And wow. then he, would get, he would get on a kick where he's like, that's it. I'm not a pastor anymore. Like I'm going to quit my job. He would, he would do, I don't know if manic story were, but he would do very bizarre personality shifts in while, well, even while he was in the church. So I witnessed some really weird stuff and I was like, this is not normal. Um, but they're like, okay, we can't let anyone touch our pastor. Everyone hates him. <sighs> he, can't he can't, he can't go to a doctor, whatever. Yeah. So he, towards the end of his life, he exhibited like behaviors of dementia, Alzheimer's, mania, whatever. And they were isolating him from everyone because they said he had the devil in him now. And one of the things he did apparently was, okay, so across the street from the Westford Baptist Church on that block in Topeka, Kansas, is a house that they call Planting Peace. And this Planting Peace house was supposed to be like a public demonstration of what there's a peaceful way to live instead of being so hateful. And they painted the house like rainbow colors, like bright, fun. So when the cars drive by and they see God hates facts, they also see like rainbows and happy. <laughs> so um, this house is, well, it was, you know, there was gay guys that lived there, but there was other people that like go around doing charitable events, whatever. And for the longest time, it was like us versus the P- planting peace house. Well, one day at the, at the end of pastor Phelps life, and I heard this from several witnesses that have left. Um, he said across the street, he stood out on the lawn. He said, you know what you guys are actually nicer than some of the people inside here. And I can't oh, shit. So he was like saying, you know what? God actually does love you. Or he said, said something to them about, wow. you know, God, God doesn't hate, you know, the F A G word. Um, and wow. he said, you're actually, you're actually more kind than some of the people inside my church. And they kicked him out. So they, instead of like ass- assessing anything that's going on with him or talking with him, nothing, they just kicked him out of the church, kicked him out of his house put him in some random house by himself while he's dying. And while he's senile, he can't even take care of himself. Like there's toilet paper everywhere. There's, you know, how older people get, like they need help. They need yeah, care. Yeah. Uh, I've taken care of a lot of older people in my career. Like I, I basically, most of my nursing was taking care of geriatric patients. And so I know mm-hmm. like they need help and mm-hmm. they just freaking let him, let him be live alone. They cut mm-hmm. off every some, single person. They cut off communication with him. So he couldn't ta- see his, his uh, kids, his grandkids, his great grandkids, he couldn't get help. He couldn't be talked to. They just shunned him and banished him and, and, until he died. And they, they freaking uh, just put him in a, a hospice. And then they didn't even visit him during hospice. And they wanted to hide it from the media because they thought the media was going to attack him. Like, wow. Was, 
Yeah, dude. It, dude, I, it's it, like, it's one thing, I, I, I know you've talked about this a lot. It's one thing to be hateful toward people outside of the group, but to be so hateful even to the people who brought you into this in the first place is, I don't know. It's like heartbreaking, kind of. Yeah. This is like what I'm talking about. And you know, when I was still in, so we did have one summer, the summer he was kind of going wackadoo with all these random things. Like I'm a pastor. No, I'm not a pastor. I'm riding my bike. I'm eating too much food. Like it was, it was all over the place one summer. And we actually, Louis, Louis Theroux's film crew was there that summer. So it's the same summer you see, I think I'm like 18 or 19 in that, in the first film, we were trying to hide him from the crew because we were really afraid that them being that close to us, they were, they were going to expose us, like expose Mm. our pastor had manic behaviors He's not wow. stable. Wow. And so we were we were praying and trying to hide it from them the whole time. And I I remember one one day we decided to vote the pastor out without like the film crew knowing. So we had to like do it all secretly and shit. And I was just like crying because I I had already been going to nursing school and I I thought that there was something like very psychiatrically wrong with him. And I felt like we were being a little cruel instead of getting him like assessed or something. We were just like, no, fuck you, you're you're not part of our church anymore. And he was kicked out for like maybe a couple weeks. And mm-hmm. I was just like, these people, if they'll turn on their own dad, their own grandfather, their own pastor, they'll turn on anyone. Like they, yeah. I, I knew that day how cruel their cruel cruelty is. It, it has no bounds. It has was, no bounds. It's yeah. Was there like a, per, someone kind of leading the charge in that who was like basically kind of taking on the new leadership position? A lot of the men in like the generation above me. So like the, like now they would be in their fifties and sixties or maybe even forties. Um, they, there was a gut group of men. So it'd be like the pastor's sons, he had several sons. And um, then there was my dad and like a couple other men. So they called them the elders. They're like the men. And it's, it's interesting. They all kind of took turns uh, being the pastor. So doing sermons and, and dictating rules and telling us how we're going to live, where we're going to pick it and all that kind of stuff stuff but um yeah it it was a power struggle no one fully stepped in i don't think and then they tried to pretend like they were all gonna share the role afterwards and it got really weird lol yeah yeah. sounds like that'll go great Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) great idea (laughs) oh my god that reminds me of a time i run i ran a race when i was like four and i was like you guys were all gonna cross at the same time and we're all gonna be equal and then there's just a picture of me sprinting over the line by myself like what a little bitch yeah anyway oh my god okay we're gonna leave it there for now stay tuned next week for the rest of the story there's much more but before there's more next week (laughs) uh so, Megan, I guess one thing that, you know, listening to the story and, and, and kind of talking to her comes up for me is I just still think about the fact that he went there. Her father mm-hmm. went to the Westboro Baptist Church originally to make a documentary making basically like making fun of them. Totally. Um, And then ended up joining. And it just like. Do you can you think of a time in your life when you have and I know I know what the answer is, but can you think of a time in your life when you have <laughs> engaged in something thinking, oh, my God, this is like so funny, like this is going to be so dumb, like and then actually got sucked in. What are you thinking of specifically or do you just in well, general? I mean, I was just thinking of how we talk about how like dating 
Like when you start to date a narcissist, you're like, okay, this is like clearly not a right, the right person to date. This is clearly a narcissist, but but it'll be fun. And then two weeks later, totally. And like being like, and I've got complete control over this. LOL, guys, I'm just going to get a story. And then five days later, you're like, why? Yes, (laughs) absolutely. But have you done that with other things as well? Um, You know, let me think, because the answer is definitely yes, I'm sure. Uh, one time I went to like a rage scream therapy oh. that I thought would I'd have to call it in and not uh, really get into it. But it turns out that it's quite powerful. So, yes, oh, so you went into it thinking like this will be silly. Yeah, I thought it would be really embarrassing to have to try to make myself mad and scream because when people do acting exercises, I'm just not capable of oh, going yeah, there. Same. But but this was uh, fun and and easy and turns out rage very accessible for me. So a, a little bit better of an experience than being in the Westboro Baptist Church, I guess. Yes, I think so. I mean, the fact that Lauren has come out so wonderful and just the coolest person. It's absolutely amazing. I can't fathom how she did that. Well, if you want to know more about how she did it next week <laughs> that's what we'll talk about <laughs> yes come join us next week thank you guys so much for listening this week we can't wait to talk to you again next week and as always remember to follow your gut watch out for red flags and, and never, never ever, ever trust me bye bye trust me is produced by kirsten woodward gabby rapp and steve delamater with special thanks to stacy para and our theme song was composed by holly amber church you can find us on instagram at trust me podcast twitter at trust me cult pod or on tiktok at trust me cult podcast i'm ula lola on instagram and ola lola on twitter and i am megan elizabeth 11 on instagram and babraham hicks on twitter remember to rate and review and spread the word 